Well, ladies and gentlemen, everyone, we're very glad to welcome you to this special discussion. And today I'm thrilled to be talking to my friend and colleague, Rebecca Earnshaw. Rebecca is Assistant Professor of Theology at Dort University. And she, like me, actually did her PhD at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And she has recently published her first book with Vandenhoek and Ruprecht, published in July 2020. It's titled Creator and Creation According to Calvin on Genesis. So, Rebecca, first of all, welcome. It's so nice to be able to talk with you about this book. Congratulations on its appearance. So, first Thank of all, you. why don't you just say a little bit about what led you to this topic? What led you to investigate Calvin's view of the creator and creation? Uh, well, hello, everybody. Um, I have a background which is uh, way down under uh, in Sydney, Australia. And I uh, came from ministry and serving in the churches there, uh, serving people uh, and with my own curiosities as well about what, it, what exactly does it mean to relate to a God who is creator? Um, a God who is so glorious and immense and wonderful and immutable and all that uh, dwells in inaccessible light, uh, this praiseworthy God, uh, what then does it mean to be his child and his person? Uh, and I came from within uh, a church background and a reformed tradition, uh, highly indebted. Uh, to one Mr. John Calvin mm -hmm. uh, and his teachings and things. And so as I sought to explore these questions uh, and consider what it means that God is not just big and glorious and out there, not just distance for, from us, but, but close, um, how do I think about the God who is creator um, and come to him? So there is a very personal and pastoral uh, angle that uh, initially drove uh, the kind of curiosity and question that I had. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I uh, came to more specifically investigate, um, you know, Genesis is a really obvious place, mm -hmm. I guess. Where do you start? The beginning is a very good place to start. Um, uh, and I think as I encounter doctrines of God or talking about who we are as creatures, um, surprisingly, Genesis was often off the table in terms of those conversations. Um, I think in contemporary discussions so often, uh, the specter of science and faith looms there so that um, Genesis almost gets pigeonholed of that's when we go to Genesis, uh, so much so that its incredible relevance to other and broader questions uh, can be left behind. Uh, I think in treatments of the creator and our nature as creatures, uh, traditionally Genesis has been front and center and uh, you see that indeed when you go and read Calvin on the topic. Um, but Genesis has receded from that conversation uh, amongst present theologians. So I'm like, okay, there's something that is worth talking about and worth recapturing. Um, so personal interest, the place of Genesis, and then 
there is of course the incredible textual history of when it comes to uh, Calvin's material on Genesis. Uh, his many times of coming back to that book in the 16th century itself, uh, the way that his sermons got published and translated and made it such a favorite at that time. Uh, and yet uh, the material was lost uh, from the library and only very recently recovered. Uh, and that recently recent recovery uh, then meant that even when people were looking to Calvin on creation, um, the works primarily drew from the book of Psalms or the book of Job uh, or the Institutes alone, rather than this rich Genesis material that was there that had, had suddenly become available. Um, and then so those, the, the creation, the Genesis, the Calvin, all those pieces uh, came together uh, as I was there at St. Andrews. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I like especially how you connected the uh, work that Calvin did on the sermons with your topic. And that I think is particularly important. So you had obviously his commentary on Genesis, and then you had his sermons on Genesis. And you might think, well, same guy, same approach, who knows. But when you compared the two, did you see any differences in terms of themes or approach or emphasis as you compared his sermons versus his commentary on Genesis? Mm -hmm. um, like that's, that's a really important question and a key question to us. There are uh, people such as uh, Max Engemer who have, uh, who helped produce uh, the Supplementa Calviniana volume 11 uh, and he provides an analysis uh, comparing the two. Um, I agree with his insights uh, in that uh, overall uh, there is an incredible synergy and agreement in terms of the doctrine and uh, consistency of the overall views of Calvin that we see in both places. Um, but there are some distinctiveness, uh, distinctive things about the sermons, particularly as a genre. Mm -hmm. um, the sermons, uh, Calvin just has more time and space mm -hmm. uh, to expand upon the issues and the concerns that he has, the things that kind of are leaping off the page of the text uh, before him. Uh, I mean, when you're, you're preaching for an hour for the whole week, you can just dig more deeply uh, and he did only preach uh, a few verses at a time, generally. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you have a lot more material that, that expands his thought. Uh, you get a lot more uh, illustrations of him explaining himself, him uh, relating that, that image of creation is uh, a father preparing for a coming child mm -hmm. uh, and the preparations that he would go to, making sure his household is ready um, and, and the cradle is there and the food is provided. And so you get longer expansions of these kind of illustrations in the sermon material. Um, and as you would expect, there is also a huge concern for the pastoral application uh, of these things. Mm -hmm. um, all scripture is God-breathed uh, and is useful. Mm -hmm. um, Calvin is very much convicted that this scripture is useful. It is a word for us. 
Uh, and so he spends a lot of time working through the implications uh, of his doctrine and of scripture and of his positions. Um, it is a, a very prayerfully conceived kind of work as well. Uh, that stance of this is, this is not just theoretical for Calvin, this is a real relationship. Um, contrary to any reputation he might have of being cold or harsh or those things like this is a lived reality that mm -hmm. he is inviting people into uh, and he preaches as such um, so i think the the application of the doctrine is is not uh divorced uh from its expression and i think that's a really important aspect uh, that comes through in the sermons and you would expect that of the genre um, and it is definitely true uh, whilst uh, the the commentary itself began as a lecture series mm -hmm. so there is a sense in which they were both originally oral forms mm -hmm. uh, a lecture versus a sermon um, and they both have recourse to the tools of rhetoric and all those kind of things that Calvin was so well versed in um, but he, he cares for his flock and he and cares about God's yeah. honor. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that definitely comes through. There were, there were some surprises. I think there are places where, uh, Calvin is traditionally uh, seen as being a bit thin on the ground, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of his doctrinal treatments, such as, uh, the attributes of God um, or uh, physicality and tangibility, the realness of, of a new creation kind of hope. Um, I think the, the fullness of the sermons uh, meant that those topics had a, had a greater treatment uh, than you get uh, simply reading the commentaries alone. That makes God's sense. Attributes, God's virtues and powers are, are more fully worked out because they're going to matter more in their application. The goodness of creation and the goodness of God associated with that, and um, Calvin has more time and space to dwell on that. For example, unpack it absolutely. Um, the fact that there is a, a a forward trajectory. This is a beginning of creation. Uh, that is going somewhere and, and God has a plan, his plans and his purposes are creation plans and purposes mm -hmm. uh, that just aligns so well uh, with like having a full narrative and Calvin having a full narrative and expectation that is here being launched. Absolutely. Um, I, actually I, ties well into the idea that he doesn't, I mean, when you looked at this question about Calvin and Genesis, what you did was go on from the first chapters, which is maybe where a lot of people spend a lot of time, mm -hmm. into the later stories of Genesis. So you get into Abraham and into his descendants and so on, right? So I think Calvin was definitely seeing it as more than just the creation event, as it were, but a whole mm -hmm. story beyond that. Can you say something about what themes you saw as Calvin moved away from the first chapters of Genesis and into the stories of Abraham and his descendants, what themes really came through there for you that still tie into this overall overarching theme of creation and creator? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, uh, Calvin was so 
so insistent upon pre preaching the whole counsel of God and, and preaching all of it week by week and day by day um, that I don't think we do him or his positions justice uh, when we narrowly go in and mine for what does Calvin say about image of God from a singular verse or original sin from singular instances. He, he has so much more to say than that. Um, in, in the same way that uh, like you do God an injustice if you call him creator but fail to go on and see the way that this same creator is the one then upholding creation and providentially directing creation, this intimate tie uh, between creation and providence, mm -hmm. I think is something uh, that uh, continues to come through when you actually read the rest of uh, Calvin's commentary and his sermons looking for those ideas and themes. Um, somebody commented to me, oh, I, I could have skipped over that, that chapter you have there on providence at the end. I'm like, yes, but Calvin would be so upset with me if I left that out. I wouldn't be actually doing the, the doctrine right if I, if I leave that out. Yep. Um, as, as you go on, uh, there are, there's a random instance uh, as he deals with Lot's wife. Uh, and the, is there any hope uh, and things for Lot's wife? What is going on? There's kind of this throwaway line that just as uh, God has created from nothing, so too uh, he will bring life to the dead. This picture of resurrection and new creation, there, there will be new bodies. Mm -hmm. uh, there are kind of random instances where Calvin calls back uh, to the opening of Genesis and the God we meet in Genesis 1, who is still that same God with his same power at work. Um, or, you know, Genesis uh, 22 is, is a classic kind of seat in scripture for uh, providence, uh, yep. that on the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. Yep. Um, and so actually, uh, digging through this narrative and seeing how how Calvin uh, undergirds uh, the security that God has for his people uh, yep. with this absolute, like God speaks and it is. God speaks and it's life. Um, there is a, a an oversight and a care and a security that then comes for God's people um, that is initially kind of hung on the creation that is there the two go hand in hand so well um but you can see it worked out in the stories which are actually sometimes very troubling stories where it looks like you know disaster and calamity or you know things going mm -hmm. from bad to worse for the for, for abraham and his descendants it's not a happy tale a lot of the time no but you no. still see god's providential care at every step Yes, and there are, there are scholars who make much of the troubled and anxious circumstances that uh, Calvin finds himself in and the um, critical needs of refugees and persecuted people um, within his congregation. Um, 
And I think as you overall, as you see him teaching from Genesis, he brings a word of comfort and security and hope in the God who will not be shaken, even when everything else around you is failing. Um, And therefore, I think uh, Calvin's teaching on Genesis uh, offers offers a counter to some emphases that are found elsewhere. That Um, makes sense. Absolutely. Because he's a good reader of the text. He, he's, he's paying attention to the nuances and what is there in front of him and actually preaching God's word from there. Absolutely. And that, that then also, obviously, because so much of what you looked at was Calvin as a preacher, it sort of segues nicely into your own background and interest in serving the church and then Calvin's interest in the same thing, given everything he's doing and dealing with at the time. So, so if you had to say to someone who's maybe not a scholar, um, you know, not that well versed in these documents, what, what exactly is the takeaway for the church today to know more about Calvin on creation and the creator? What do we take away? Uh, let me take a deep breath and pause. Like God, God is God is amazing. God, God is creator. This creator is worthy of praise. He is good and powerful and eternal. And that question of how how do we uh, call this God our Father, mm-hmm. um, like this immense and amazing and praiseworthy God. How do we call this God our Father? Like just this, you are His. He has loved you from the beginning. He mm-hmm. He just overflows with with an energy and a life uh, that springs creation into being, and. He never gives up on his people or on his creation. His care continues. Uh, this fatherly goodness of the creation uh, of the Creator is always there. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite our rejection and our rebellion uh, against him, mm-hmm. um, he pursues his people and he perseveres with his people. And uh, Calvin is so focused on Jesus as he reads scripture, even from the beginning. Uh, His prayers for his congregation are soaked in, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us do this. Mm -hmm. Um, This is God's word for his people even today. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, this creator can be trusted. He can be trusted. um, Even in the midst of everything that happens. And therefore, people today, even if they can't maybe necessarily go and read Calvin's sermons on Genesis because they're not really available in English just yet, at least your volume can introduce them to what Calvin had to say on this topic and help them maybe to understand how there is this ongoing passion almost among the reformers and then all the way into today to transmit the teachings of Genesis to people in an engaging way that really shows them who God is and his, both his creative power, but as you say, also his, his passion, his unrelenting passion for, for his people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
my my volume is still a technical volume so go read the intro and the conclusion and then dive into the technicalities um, as you desire but yeah hopefully this really will open up uh, the Genesis work for people, whether it is the commentary or the sermons. Yeah. Uh, Calvin is a pastor and a theologian and a student of the word. Uh, and so I am providing a reading that will just bring to light uh, hopefully new and edifying aspects uh, of that work for Absolutely. people. And just in closing, is there anything else you want people to know about the book or anything else that you're thinking about working on down the line that we should you know keep an eye out for um anything else you'd like to add at this point anything else uh i would like to uh particularly say that i am very thankful for the life and work of my supervisor uh the late john webster mm -hmm. uh, and this work was very much uh, begun and labored under his supervision and care and so uh, I hope to continue to uh, work uh, in a vein that uh, kind of has a tone consistent with him, uh, bringing my focus and love of Calvin uh, in line with that, mm -hmm. considering the, the doctrine of God and his world and relating to the world. So uh, I have some questions about providence mm -hmm. that I'm interested in pursuing as the to later tone of this conversation uh, might have hinted at. Um, but yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I really appreciate it.